Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, actually, hopefully children, 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast, and I have one of my favorite people in the entire world with me today. He is a insurance extraordinaire. His name is Taylor Young of Urban Young Insurance. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Yeah. Th- thanks for uh, for making the time. You and I tried to do this about two months ago, and then uh, COVID happened. Yeah. And um, so it's it's nice that we're starting to make our way back uh, into quote unquote um, normal life, and uh, we're able to have you in to the uh, office studio here. So I want to use um, the time that we have for this particular episode to really dive deep into insurance. And um, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong here, auto and homeowners insurance is is that the specialty of your firm? Or do you all also offer different types of insurance on top of auto and, and, and homeowners? Yeah, a lot of auto and home, but our, our business is essentially personal and commercial lines. So small business owners, commercial property, that's a big side of our business. Specifically for me and how we've gotten to know each other is a bit more on the personal side. Um, and homeowners insurance is such a driver for, for us. And uh, so, yeah, so both sides. Okay. And you know, it's insurance to me is one of those things, like a, a, a common theme of this show and really one of the inspiration of the show it's like everything you should have learned in high school but you didn't growing up not only was insurance not really taught in my household besides oh you got your license now our effing insurance is up and four hundred dollars a month right when i went when i turned 16 um and then throughout high school and even college no one ever talked to me about, A, the importance of insurance, what proper coverage is, why I would need it, why I wouldn't need it. And I'm thinking if, if that was my upbringing, that was probably many other people's upbringing. So let's dedicate the next 20, 25 minutes shedding some light on the basics of, of insurance. Um, like, for example, I'm a homeowner. Obviously, I have to have homeowner's insurance, especially if I have a, uh, a mortgage on my property. I guess if I didn't have a mortgage on my property, it would be elective whether or not I had homeowner's insurance. Um, we own two vehicles in my household and the state of Florida, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they mandate that I have auto insurance for my um, two vehicles. But is insurance something that I get it and forget it? Or is it something that I need to review? And if so, how often do I need to review it? That's a good question. I think the review question uh, comes with life changes. You know, if for the most part, if you make a decision and you have a conversation with your agent agency and your family and you sit down and you say, hey, we have two young drivers and we just added a car and let's beef up our coverage because, you know, look, we have young drivers driving around and, and uh, we're trying to protect our, our financial life and our financial assets. And let's say you, you, you beef up your coverage, you buy an umbrella and next year nothing changes, um, then I, I don't know if you need to review that every single year. But specifically, uh, I'm always a fan of you know the advisor role, being a little bit more proactive before you make a decision. So for example, having a conversation with your agent before the young driver goes on the policy, uh, before you buy that new vehicle or, or new two vehicles or new motorcycle or whatever it may be. So I think life changes before those life changes happen is a great time to review your stuff. But yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of stuff growing up that 
you hear, oh, is, is a red car more to insure than a yellow car, right? Or, um, you know, like your parents, hey, just keep it above a 3.0. And you're like, okay, you know, keep it above a 3.0. Why? I don't know, because it's $500 every six months if you do that, right? That's kind of what you hear in most households. Wait, but- is that true? If, if, if I have a teenage driver that is on my auto policy and their GPA is over 3.0, I save money on that auto insurance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Jackson, I hope you're listening to this. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep those grades up. It'll save mom and dad money. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, two things that I want to circle back on. Uh, one, it's more of just one of my biggest takeaways is I like how you said advisor and phone call, meaning insurance, no matter what type of a technology world we live in, it's still not a DIY. It's not a do-it-yourself. It's a conversation you should have with a professional who can help lead you in the right direction based on your particular needs, wants, and goals in terms of where you are in life. Is that a fair assessment to make? That's it, right? I mean, that's it. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff online. We all can. I mean, you can shop. You can, you know, we call it being a quoter versus being an advisor. Anybody can quote your business. I mean, it's as simple as matching up the numbers and so on and so forth. And you know, a lot of people will just do the apples to apples thing. They'll just take the coverage that you currently have, even though there really may be no thought in how you arrive to those coverages, both on your home or your, your car, or your business insurance. So I think from an advisor perspective, there's a, there's a difference between acknowledging where somebody is, you know, where somebody is, and then ultimately asking some questions that can allow you to discover if some changes need to be made. So yeah, I think like any professional with this new online, not new, but certainly prevalent yeah, there's, online there's shopping a, There's definitely a spotlight. Right. I mean, so people prefer to get their stuff easy, convenient, and that's no problem. But some of these big decisions, like the coverage, like protecting your financial assets, like protecting your business and livelihood, absolutely, I think you should talk to a professional. Yeah, because anyone can quote you the wrong policy. Sure. Anyone can quote you and the wrong can, coverage. Anyone, and, and look, if, if we're going to talk about homeowner's insurance. Anyone can bind a policy. It's just whether that co- coverage is going to stand up if and when you need it. And that, that has a lot to do with it. Oh, it definitely does, probably with, with all insurances. And then you also mentioned the word umbrella. So I think umbrella, like, hey, did I grab my umbrella because it's supposed <laughs> to rain today because it's you know now summertime and we live in central Florida. Right. But I'm pretty sure the umbrella that you mentioned is not the same umbrella that I think about in the back of my car. That's Can, that's can you walk us through what you mean by an umbrella policy? Yeah, so I think of it as almost like a blanket policy, right? So all the different exposures that that Dustin Owen has personally, right? He's got his house, he's got his life, he's got his autos and all the, the different moving parts, if you will. And those all have insurance coverage to liability and protect you that if you were to, something were to happen and you were to be deemed negligent or at fault or somebody was injured, whether it is the, in the defense of you or paying out for somebody's injuries, those have limits of liability, right? So sometimes 300,000, sometimes 500,000, but they do have limits. Meaning the policy I currently have on my auto or on my home will only cover me up to a certain dollar amount. Correct. After that, I'm on my own. Correct. So if there was, let's say, a July 4th party at my house, Mm. and let's say I have a pool and I I rent the big blow-up bounce house that goes in the back and my wife's cousin's drunk uncle comes over <laughs> with like a whole entire stash from south of the border, uh, which, you know, you know, have you ever driven 95? Oh, so yeah. if you drive 95 from Florida, like let's say up to like New York, 
Well, right there at the border of North Carolina and South Carolina is like a, I don't know what you call it, like a tourist trap called South of the Border. And as a kid, that's where we went to buy the best fireworks. So when I mentioned you know south of the border, I'm actually uh, uh, paying homage to the the, the place right off of 95. Here. Yeah, it's not an illegal activity. <laughs> There's actually a place right off of 95 uh, in between South Carolina and North Carolina. It's called South of the Border, and that's where we used to go as kids to buy the best fireworks. So in my analogy, so it was my my wife's cousin's drunk uncle comes over with the fireworks, and people get hurt. Right between the pool and between the fireworks and in the in the uh, blow up bounce house, and as a homeowner, someone wants to sue me because it's my fault. It's my house. I allowed those people in. I allowed them to bring the fireworks, et cetera, et cetera. You're telling me that my homeowner's insurance policy is only going to protect me to a certain dollar amount of liability. Sure. Yeah. There's two levels of coverage on your homeowner's insurance. One, you have medical payments, and that is regardless of there's negligence or there's any fault. Right, just somebody getting hurt at your property. There's a certain small amount, usually two to five thousand, that's going to be paid out if needed, regardless. It's almost like a buffer between any liability. Okay. Now the next level is the liability. What we're talking about with the umbrella, call that three to five hundred thousand, where you know if they deem that, hey, look, Dustin, you had that water that you didn't clean up in the kitchen, and now somebody slipped and they fall, you know, whatever it is, something that you knew about that you were, um, you know, deemed negligent. Uh, then your liability is going to protect you or pay out for those injuries. But yes, that is limited to a certain extent. So an umbrella comes in the form of, okay, after that, we're going to pay for a policy that continues to defend or pay out on my behalf so I don't have to do that personally. And it usually comes in the form of a million or two million or sometimes uh, five million and above as far as that umbrella blanket liability policy. Who, in your opinion, should carry umbrella insurance? Most people. Most people, yeah, and a lot of you know a lot of people that are young, they go, ah, I don't know, I, I just don't have any assets yet. I got my primary home, I'm protected, it's homesteaded, you know, whatever here in, here in Florida, and that may be true, but there's plenty of stuff that they can go after if it's a big enough incident, you know, meaning your future wages and so on and so forth. So, well, and that's like on on this show, we talk a lot about um, financial fitness, and we talk a lot about you know, not having credit card debt, but having six months reserves and contributing to your 401k and having money into an IRA. And I would tell someone, again, I'm not an insurance professional, I'm not a financial advisor, but the minute you start making headway of the no credit card debt and the six months reserves and you are a homeowner and you're contributing to a 401k, you need an umbrella policy. Well, it's defense, right? You, all the things you talk about are offense. You know, your, your retirement account, you're building, you're protecting, you're growing your income, all that stuff's super important and vital. But there's some defense that can be fairly inexpensive that can really protect you if something were to happen. So I'm, I'm a fan of it. And then specifically to say owning a home, I mean, if you have a rental property, uh, that's a big, big one because you're just not protected the same way, you know, as you are as your primary home when, you know, the home. Well, especially stuff. if you own a rental property and the property is owned in your personal name, which right. most are. Yep. You have most yep. rental properties are financed in the person's name, not in the name of an LLC, because it's very difficult to get financing in the name of an LLC. And there's all sorts of challenges with it. It's harder to get insurance too. So, you know, for me, I'm one of those people, unless that's a business of yours where you're going to have multiple properties and it, you have the ability to keep up with it and so on and so forth. If you have like one or two rental properties, I mean, I'm in a, in my opinion sometimes is just to, hey, look, you can buy more insurance coverage. If they're in your personal name and something happens, you can buy more insurance coverage. Of course, I'm not an attorney. Correct. But, but at the same time, it can get a little complicated once LLC. You know, it's interesting. And again, I'm not an attorney either, but I had an attorney client. This is probably going on 10 years ago. 
uh, reached out, 15 actually, reached out and she wanted to buy an investment property and she wanted to buy it in the name of an LLC because she wanted to protect herself financially. Once she saw what it meant to finance in terms of an LLC, she was like, oh, you know what? It's way cheaper for me to max out my insurance coverage than it would be for me sure. to ever finance this property because it wasn't her her business. It, this was a uh, part of her overall portfolio right. for investment or her investment strategy. Um, that would be a really fun rabbit hole to go on, go down. But let's let's try to at least me. I'm talking to myself now. Let's pull. Hey, Dustin, pull yourself out of that rabbit hole because I do have some more questions as it pertains to just you know basic insurance needs. Um, you know, like I asked the question. I want to circle back to it about shopping or re-reviewing my insurance. Um, and this is like a like I literally don't know this question, and I should at this point in my life. I own a home and I own a investment property. How often should I be checking to make sure that the insurance I have on that home is still what's best? I know you mentioned earlier a good trigger is when a life event happens, but is it as easy as uh, picking up the phone and calling Matt at your office, who Matt is actually my insurance agent for for a couple of my policies, and saying every single year, hey, Matt, will you shop this again, or is that overkill? I don't think it's overkill, because another thing that happens, too, is that policy language can change. And so, you know, I think it's prudent to review, uh, you know, your policy. Like for me, I received my renewal just a couple of weeks ago and, and look, my rate went up. And so mentally, I kind of look through it and say, am I still in the best option? But at the same time, there's also inflation guards on, on uh, properties where, you know, they can go up as far as the coverage for your home, 48% every year. So you just want to make sure that's kind of congruent with what is actually, you know, within your home and, and, and the structure and, and stuff like that. So I, th I think making sure, I think once a year is a great thing. I don't think it has to be, you have to physically go see your agent, book an appointment that's going to take an hour. But I think a note to your agent to say, hey, can you just check things yeah. out, make sure there's nothing major. Um, obviously, prices are a part of that, but what you're talking about is really to make sure that you know you don't have any gaping holes in your you know. Yeah, no, it is definitely twofold. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, look at the end of the day, dollars are dollars, and if I can pick up an extra hundred or two hundred dollars, that's fantastic. But yes, I also want to make sure I have the proper coverage because that was more speaking of homeowners. But let's like flip it to auto. I've owned my car for seven years now. When I bought it, it had 25,000 miles. Today, it has 145,000 miles. Is the auto insurance I have on my car, assuming I've not done anything with it since I bought the car, is it still the best insurance or should I have more or less coverage? Like, is that something I should be considering? Sure. Yeah. And I think the majority of what uh, you know, auto insurance is a big one. I think your, your biggest exposure is the liability portion of the auto insurance, which to me most times drives the cost, specifically here in Florida, because it seems like every accident is, is a lawsuit, right? It's, 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 it's we, the American way. We live in a world where you, you see a, you're in an accident on I-4 and you can see four billboards um, about, you know, guys or gals you can call to to get them involved. And I'm not saying that's good, bad, or, or indifferent. indifferent. Yeah. You know, I'm just saying that's the way it is. So that's where a lot of the cost comes in the auto insurance is the liability piece. And, and, and as your, your, your uh, vehicle ages now, certainly there is there are people that say, hey, look, I don't want to pay for physical damage on this, you know, uh, vehicle. It's worth, you know, 500 bucks. But most of the time, 
you're not paying a lot as the vehicle ages. As the vehicle goes down in value, you're typically paying less for that portion of uh, you know the the premium, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that answers my question. So, should I have shopped my? I say shopped. Should I have picked up the phone, called my insurance agent? every couple of years to make sure that the auto policy that was the best for me seven years ago is still the auto policy that's best for me three years ago or today? Yes. Yes. I so, think it, it takes very little time. I think, as you mentioned, from a pricing and coverage and just a connecting standpoint, I think it's prudent. I mean, in a perfect world, you know, I won't get into too much of what we do, but uh, you know, in a perfect world, you set up systems and processes and an agency to be able to reach out to your customers if and when there is a change that is more significant than normal, whether that be from a coverage standpoint or a pricing. Now, I will share something in Florida that does happen that I hate that it happens, but it does, is uh, companies right now in Florida on the homeowner's insurance side are struggling from profitability, and they have been for, for a couple of years now. Um, there's, there's many reasons for it that we can go down that rabbit Hurricanes, hole. Sinkholes, Hurricanes, floods. I mean, yeah. Well, water damage, uh, assignment of benefits, abuse. When you have contractors that will come out and it should be a $5,000 claim, but it's, it's now all of a sudden a hundred thousand, right? You multiply that by thousands of people. It's an overwhelm of the system. And so this is all fun stuff, man. But, uh, but yeah, so, so stuff like that with your homeowner's insurance, they can now like in central Florida specifically where we are you will have companies that will send out your renewal and you will get the paperwork, but they may limit water damage now. And when I say limit water damage, meaning if you have a pipe burst, you used to have coverage for, hey, whatever the damage caused, that's what they're going to pay on it. And I'm, I'm assuming that's not in like 32-point font and highlighted for Right. Me. They're not going to tell you, hey, Dustin, we limited water damage. Why don't you call your agent? Like, you should have. No, yeah. I'm kidding, right? No, they don't. So, no, mean, they don't tell you that. Like, so even me as an agent, right, yeah, I have to actually review that 40, 50-page document. And maybe that's on one or two pages. But it's not like they're sending me a form I, I potentially have to acknowledge and sign, right? So there is all these things that I think can happen that makes it prudent to just check, you know? Awesome. Um, when we were talking about umbrella policy, I didn't get a chance to ask you this, but uh, as a listener um, and a fan of the show. Yes. I'm a fan of my own show. Hey, you um, be, man. <laughs> someone has to be, right? It's, it's me, it's my mom, and I think my sister at this point. I, but but I'm, I'm on there, so oh, that's and important. Then, oh, yeah, TY, perfect. We're up to five. I still haven't gotten my dad to tune in yet, <laughs> really? but we're almost there. Um, no, on the umbrella policy, not going to hold you to it because I'm sure, like anything, it's going to vary on on each individual um, that, that um, inquires. But, like, what does the – standard million or half a million dollar umbrella policy cost me if I were to want to get one? And does it does it get added onto my homeowner's insurance? Does it get added onto my auto insurance? Is it a separate bill? Separate bill, typically. Um, I'd say it starts uh, at, at 150 bucks a year. So okay. very inexpensive for, for about how a million, much coverage? About a million for about a million coverage. dollars. And then it scales probably for that same amount of coverage anywhere from four to five hundred dollars a year. And there's of course you can add more coverage, you can buy extra uninsured motorists. There's all different ways you could increase your coverage on it. But it's 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 a few hundred bucks. Okay. I mean it's just about having your underlying coverage on the car insurance high enough to qualify. Because ultimately, if you don't have enough underlying coverage, companies aren't going to write the umbrella, right? So, so that's how it works. And so most of the time, our recommendation, you know, if, for example, in Florida, you have a lot of companies that will write auto insurance, but they don't write home in the state. So sometimes it's not as simple if you're living like in the Midwest and you're 
all with Liberty Mutual for everything, right? They're like, hey, look, down here in Florida, we're not writing <laughs> homeowners insurance. So a lot of times I think for people's biggest exposure and the most common where your umbrella would be brought in is auto uh, because auto accidents, right? Because you can really hurt somebody and there's a good chance that it's yep. going to be a legal uh, suit. So um, I think getting an underlying auto policy and the umbrella policy being the same and making sure those jive uh, is super important. So typically recommended, if I'm looking to get an auto policy, I'm sorry, if I'm looking to get an umbrella policy, go ahead and, and try to get it quoted or attached with my auto. I think that's prudent. And of course, not every umbrella is created equal, right? So there's some there's some intricacies and coverage language that you want to get with your agent on, but I think that's a good start. Um, how about this? What are some... I'm looking for the right word. I want to use the word scam, but like, <laughs> like as a, as a average, ordinary, everyday person, central Florida resident, American, et cetera, what are some things that you see in your industry where maybe I or anyone else could be spending money, um, not in an unnecessary fashion in insurance, meaning I'm, I'm being sold insurance that I just probably shouldn't even consider, or I'm being sold insurance that doesn't apply to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good question. I, you know, I, for me personally, um, I, you know, like I'm licensed for life and health. We don't do a ton of it, but I think on the life insurance side, there are, there are people out there that I think are not finding the, you know, matching the person to the product and making sure that's a fit. Maybe they're leading with a product and then, you know, hoping if that makes sense. That no, I, well, here's what's funny. I'm going to have to stop you on this one. Um, uh, you did tell me coming in that, that you do from time to time tune into the show. Did you happen to listen to an episode that we did about two weeks ago where it's actually, it started off the camera. And then I'm like, I told Coleman, I'm like, just stop. Let's, let's turn on the mics, hop in the chair. Yeah. D did you listen no, to that I, show? No, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Someone tried to sell him life insurance. Oh, it went and, through the whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I got to like, listen to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have to go back and listen to it. Um, and Coleman right now, uh, you guys can't see him, but he is behind the camera today. I'm going to yell out, John, what did we name that episode? Do you remember? Dio and Coleman talk life insurance. Yeah, I think it's I think <laughs> it's right, legit. So I'll it's, be able to find it. Yes, it's Dio and Coleman talk yeah. life insurance. But yeah, because you know John's producing the show and he's co-hosting it some days, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to practice what we've been preaching. And he reached out to a family recommended financial advisor, and all of a sudden he said it turned into a life insurance pitch. And look, I have life insurance. I have term. I have whole. I have universal. Like I literally, but. I don't know if life insurance was really needed for John Coleman, who, for the most part, like he's married with no kids, and his his wife and and he run um, uh, congruent but not together finances. Like sure. he needs enough life insurance to basically bury his ass. That's it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm I, of course I'm insured through the. You know, I always tell tell my wife I think I'm I'm worth more dead yes, than, than alive, alive right yeah. and. And I've always grown up in a household where my father's a financial advisor, so I've always valued life insurance, always understood the value of life insurance. And I've actually had life insurance since I've been uh, 23 years old um, when I had no money. So, like, look, I get it. There's, it's, it's important. But I think probably when I listen to that episode, you do have some life insurance salesmen, if you will, that lead with the product rather than lead with your needs. 
And I think that it becomes like somebody just goes through their process and they bring you along for their ride rather than meeting where you are and then understanding if a product can even solve your problem. Because I think that you have to start with what's that person's problem or their ambition and then the product's got to support that. It can't be, let me start with this product that pays me a lot of commission and let me find a way to convince them that that product is for them. And I... And there's good and bad in every industry. That's just one thing that irks me in our industry. And 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 we don't even sell a lot of life insurance. But you you said it, so now I'm responding with 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 what what irks me. But uh, another thing too is uh, deductibles. I mean, unfortunately, you know when hurricanes come through and they have a gosh, I mean, how many major storms has been hit on each side of Florida the last couple of years? But you know, I think people are surprised at that 2% hurricane deductible and how that works. And although that may be the standard, I don't think people take enough time to really acknowledge like, like what 2% really is, right? Like 2% of my house, what it's insured for, not 2% of what the claim is, right? And that's the misconception. So sometimes people call us and we're like, Hey, you know, I have five, $6,000 worth of damage. You're like, you know, your deductibles are going to end up being seven or eight. And so that's unfortunate. So I I think we could all do a better job in that education, but I don't think people really say, hey, if something were to happen, could I actually afford this deductible? And if I can't, is there an opportunity to pay more to have a lower deductible because maybe my cash reserves aren't what they are going to be and, and I need to work towards that? Yeah. So you're going to make me get on my soapbox again, because I'm, I'm just a huge proponent of this in general, because you have to pick up the phone and call an advisor to walk you through that. Because if, if someone was just online getting quotes, um, like you, you nailed, um, like hit, hit the nail on the head, with if you don't know what it means in terms of dollars, like what does 2% really mean? Right, like real money. Yeah, real yeah. money. Let, let me walk you through that. You're not going to get that if you're just online shopping for the cheapest quote. You're just going to look at that quote as 2%. So I guess this one should have 2%, right? Yeah, yeah. yep. Or, or even just, I mean, um, I mean, I know as an employer, when it comes to our medical coverage, you know, we can offer super cheap medical coverage, but it comes with a really high deductible. And do people really know what that means? Like it, it means we're not paying out until you have paid in X amount of dollars. And how many people, whether that deductible is five grand or 10 grand, have that type of coin sitting on the sidelines? Yeah. Right? A hurricane comes through and rips off your roof, and then rain pours into your house, and all of a sudden you had a. 2%? Are there higher ones? Are there 4% hurricane deductibles? Typically, and you would know this because obviously your industry, but typically like if you're getting it financed, they're not going to allow anything more than 5%. But most of what you see is no more than 2%. Okay. But it really gets dicey, even though you think, oh, high value homes, that person's going to have you know more wealth, more money. But the higher value home is a massive deductible at 2%. So you can imagine, you know, as you go up to half a million and a million dollars in, yeah. in, in dwelling coverage, if you will, if that person doesn't have as much cash as maybe their house would indicate, well, then there might be a problem there too, even in, on that side of things. Well, if you think about it, in most markets, you're not picking up a home for less than two or for, for you're, you're, you are picking one up between two to 250 as a starter home. Your move up homes are probably closer to four to five. Sure. Yeah. So you start throwing a four hundred fifty thousand dollars house at a two percent hurricane deductible is nine grand. Right. And, and and here's the thing, right? And this is what we're talking about. That's okay, right? If that's what the market demands and that's your option, or you don't like the lower deductible option because you're gonna have to pay a thousand dollars more a year and you don't want to, that's okay. But I think most people don't make those decisions consciously. 
Yeah. Right? And that's because they don't talk to an advisor or they don't go through it. Well, yeah, because how much extra per year would it have been for me to do a 1% hurricane deductible? Or do they even make $1,000 hurricane deductibles? They do, right? But every situation, you may not have a company that qualifies for your particular home that was willing to offer that lower deductible, okay. right? So it's not like a guaranteed thing where every company does it and it's always available. But occasionally, like specifically with new construction homes, because you know so many people want new construction, they're going to have a lot a better chance to find a flat hurricane deductible. Gotcha. Versus, and when I say flat, sometimes 500, sometimes 1,000. Yeah, but but when someone's obtaining a homeowner's insurance quote, these are all um, aspects of that quote that need to be considered from yes. a financing standpoint. Yes. Yeah, look, if, if you follow the principles that we teach on this show and you have six months reserve, then a 2% hurricane deductible, you can stomach. Right. But... What if you could have paid an extra $180 a year for a 1% hurricane deductible? Was was that $15 a month worth not having to pay an extra $4,500 in deductible? Or was it not worth it? It, it matters how long you go without a claim. Correct. Yeah. Right? And That's it's, it's going to be a personal preference, yeah. right? And and you don't know the right answer until it's over with. Sure. I mean, that's and, and that's most things in life. How about this on auto? In any gotchas and auto, like, like, and I don't know this, does gap insurance come through my auto uh, policy or does gap insurance something that a car dealership tries to sell me? It's funny because I'm not even going to be an expert on that because I okay. still, I, I lease a car and I just, I get it. I typically get it on both. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know what the differences are, but no, I mean, usually what the insurance companies will do if it's a brand new vehicle or within 12 months of being manufactured and sold, um, there's, there's, you know, some, some even offer replacement uh, coverage. You see those commercials where they'll, you know, you're in an accident within 12 months, they'll buy you a uh, year newer uh, model kind of thing. So there are, there are a bunch of little mini endorsements like that in auto that are specific to so many companies. I won't pretend to speak in a blanket fashion on okay. what each of those represent. So, uh, but if you do buy a new vehicle or lease a new vehicle, yes, there is, it's way easier to get protection against you know, the, the quick depreciation of that and making sure you protect your, you know, your lease or your loan gap. Um, so yeah, that stuff is important because people get underwater on their vehicles quickly and they can, and making sure that again, if the, the coverage is available that you're able to purchase. Yeah. That's, I should probably, um, uh, do a better job of explaining what gap insurance is. And you, you, you kind of just, just did it in uh, your answer there, but in a nutshell, gap insurance, correct me if I'm wrong, is when you drive off the lot and your and your car depreciates in value, you could be what's considered upside down or underwater, meaning you owe more than what the car is worth. Right. So if you totaled your car, your insurance claim isn't going to pay out but what the car was worth, and you might owe more money, which would leave some kind of a delta or a spread between what you owe the finance company versus what your insurance company reimbursed you. Gap insurance covers that gap. It makes sure that not only do you get enough money to replace your car in the um, your, your car in the in the uh, condition that it was in and the value is, but you also get enough money to pay off uh, your, your finance company. A absolutely. And, and, and look, you forget about that when people say, Oh, yeah, I paid you insurance check, you know, the, they gave you 10 grand for the car. Okay, but what if you owed 11? Yeah, what if you owed 12? Now you have to go get a new car, right? And you're at a deficit. So that's exactly the reason you should. So again, that. if if you have six months reserve, you may choose to not right. add gap insurance onto your auto policy. But if you're choosing whether to do it or not, you should look at the financials. What does it cost you to have gap insurance? What does it cost you not to have it? 
and do the mathematical calculation or mathematical formula and you make the decision that's right for you. Are there, are there one or two aspects of auto insurance that you see in your day to day that um, make you a big sigh or an eye roll that, that you just see mistakes, common mistakes oh, yeah. that people make with their auto insurance, what are they so we can make sure that we avoid them? How, how long do we have? Well, we're, we're, we're probably already pushing up on our 25-minute no, uh, you know, time frame. But the, the absolute biggest painful uh, calls that I get, it, it, it centers around claims frequency, parking lot incidents, small incidents. And you know people feel like, hey, look, I'm paying for this coverage. Like This is what I buy my auto insurance for. And this is one of those things that you mentioned at the front of the podcast, like things I knew or I wish my parents would have taught me in high school. I'm very fortunate. My dad was a financial advisor. Like he loves this stuff. Like, so life insurance and cost of overall risk, like that was at the dinner table, baby. So Ooh, um, what was that like? Cause my son and my daughter have to live, live that. Yes. Like how annoying I was, am I? <laughs> you know what? I'm so grateful for okay. it. Okay. Especially now in my, tw- uh, throughout my twenties and in my early thirties, I think I a lot of times take for granted my dad's wisdom that I've been able to leverage just on some basics. So it's great thing what you're doing with the podcast when you talk about this stuff because I think for the, mo- the most part most people don't have that influence. And yeah. I feel feel grateful for it. So um, I think the small accidents that you think you should claim but you shouldn't. Um, I think that should be a call to your agent. Um, parking lot incidents are the like the literally worst. pick up the phone and be like, "Hey, someone, yeah. I just rear-ended someone or someone bumped into me yeah, at the this? public's parking lot." Yeah, should I claim this? Yeah, I mean, the reality situation, parking lot incidents, there's not going to be somebody at fault. You know, it's, it's probably going to be a shared fault situation regardless. It doesn't matter how upset you are or how wrong you think that other driver was. For the most part, unless they admit liability, there's probably going to be some sort of shared fault because typically the police won't even come to parking lot incidences or be able to deem fault. Like, it all depends. But at the same time, then, so say you file the claim. And it's a $700 claim and your deductible's $250, $500, and you netted $300 and really, really, you know, got your vehicle fixed. Okay. Well, you don't know when the next incident's going to happen. What if you have a legitimate incident that you can't afford out of pocket and you're going to have to claim it? It's a couple thousand dollars. It makes sense. Okay. Well, all of a sudden now you went from having nothing on your record to two things on your record. And now you're undesirable in the insurance market for the next three to five years, right? And I'm not saying that's a science, but that is... Uh, uh, that sort of perpetuation leaves people frustrated. Yeah, two two claims in six months. People are going to be like, yeah, I'm paying too much. And I say, I may agree with you, but we're less desirable to the insurance marketplace. And I wish we wouldn't have made that first claim because we didn't need to. Okay, so that's that's a good takeaway. That is a, hey, look, if you have a minor bump bruise before you go and and, uh, file a claim, pick up the phone, call your insurance agent, Pick their brain. They're experts at this, and, and they at least know more than 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 you do. Um, all right, what else? Oh man, uh, that that's most common. Okay, right, because I think most people go, "Hey, I'm trying to keep my rates down. I'm trying to keep it reasonable. I'm trying to, you know." And you're like, "Okay, well, yeah, you know, driving saying, record is most common." Okay, um, um, I think new vehicles, coverages. Yeah, like, so so a lot of times people uh, will call us and say, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about getting, you know, I have X vehicle. I'm thinking about getting Y vehicle." And sometimes they'll send us like three or four vehicles they're shopping. And, and me, I'm like, hey, let, let me know when you narrow it to two. <laughs> yeah. Because the insurance is not going to differ that greatly that it should make your vehicle decision. But for the most part, the the higher cost uh, to replace that vehicle is going to be the higher cost to insure it. A lot of companies charge premium by the overall weight 
meaning, you know, the heavier vehicle potentially, you know, you may have some algorithms that are built in that there's higher costs because if that vehicle's in an accident, it's going to cause a bigger deal, right? Wow. Okay. But I think the biggest misconception on auto insurance is that they use so many, we live in a techie world where algorithms and, um, uh, they determine the rate, right? So they use your credit, they use uh, your zip code. It's it's like 50, 100 tiers some of these companies have. Yeah, no, they, they pick the smartest brains at a schools like yeah. MIT and Penn who are actuaries, and they get out like a 2,700-page Excel spreadsheet, and they build a formula. And, and they don't love you or they don't hate you. They actually don't care about you. Correct. <laughs> they care about the math. Correct. Right? And so that's where these rates come from. So I think people take it a bit too personal where it's like, look, let me just understand the game. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're telling me they're going to use my credit. Let me improve my credit. You're telling me that you know this vehicle may cost more. Okay, like let me do all the things that I can to make me the most desirable in the marketplace. And that's going to allow me to get the most value from the marketplace. So I think credit's a big one that people get frustrated at or don't understand completely is that why an insurance company would link their credit to their auto insurance rates like hey look that has nothing to do with me driving and that very well may true but again they don't care about you they care about the data yeah right? so the, the data suggests that, that that people with better credit tend to have less claims than people with, with, with lower credit yep claims frequency again they don't necessarily care as much about the larger stuff because that stuff's going to happen regardless they care about claims frequency because that's the stuff of hey i got this 500 claim and now it's the cost to go through the process too. So um, that's a big one. So, okay, I have um, two final questions. We could probably sit here all day. Um, I would sit here and pepper you with questions on insurance. Am um, I being too cynical, by the way? But I, I mean, no, not your listeners. Bit. They make, I care about your listeners. It's just maybe the auto insurance is data, you know, it doesn't, no, doesn't I, no, I, I think the best part about this show and, and the voice that uh, we carry is that. We tell it like it is. Sure. I mean, we don't try to hide from anything. We don't beat around the bush. Um, you know, I try to watch my language, but I'm not going to not be me. Right. Um, but no, so the questions on, on insurance would be on my auto insurance. Is there some, some commonality that you see? And I'm really thinking in, in terms of people being undercovered. Sure. Like, are, are, or, and maybe I'm just, um, you know, uh, off base here, but my guess would be people call you, you look at the policy they currently have, and you notice that they're undercovered and they're probably undercovered because, well, they went cheap. They didn't go with what was right. Is, is that something that's commonplace in your day-to-day or most people have, have sufficient coverage when, when they come to you? No, most people don't have enough coverage. And, and you know, look, enough is is you know, it's, it's, it's subjective relevant to yeah, you, yeah. you know, but at the same time, I would say most people, you know, specifically when you're in the direct to consumer marketplace, whether that's progressive direct or Geico or whatever it may be, I have nothing against those companies. There is a great spot clearly by the market share that they have, that there is a need for that. Um, but at the same time, they like uninsured motorists is a perfect example, right? That's a, that's an important piece of coverage on your auto insurance policy, but it's not mandated by the state of Florida, right? Like you quote unquote, don't have to have it, but you would recommend everyone carry. Absolutely. Okay. Right. So to me, I'm like, I'm not going to write an auto insurance policy without it because that's just a nightmare. If you're in that accident, I think Florida leads the country as far as how many uninsured drivers, um, are driving around on the road. So just that kind of exposure just is not a good thing. 
Um, but when you call those places, they may be meeting, they may be helping you in Florida, but they may also be helping you in Minnesota. You know, like they're looking at the manual, say, oh, well, Florida doesn't require you to have that. So that is technically correct. But that, that is awesome. That's what I was looking for. Like, like what are some common mistakes that you see people uh, making when they're choosing their insurance? So uninsured motorists, um, any other one that sticks out the way that uninsured motorist sticks out to you? Nothing sticks out like uninsured motorist because it's, it's that important. It's very sad if somebody doesn't have that or have enough coverage because that's the coverage for them. Yep. That has nothing to do with them hitting somebody and being at fault. That's the coverage when they're in an accident and somebody that hit them is either it's a hit and run or they don't have enough coverage or they don't have coverage. So, man, I get super passionate about that. And a lot of people talk about, well, well I have health insurance. Well, health insurance has its own issues with 80-20, you know, co- you know like all yep. that stuff, high deductibles and – and so there's all sorts of things, but uninsured motorists is a huge one. Uh, another one, you know, I've, I've had some uh, people like uh, rental car coverage. Mm-hmm. Probably don't buy enough rental car coverage. Cause I don't well, know hold if, on. When I rent a car so, so if you're in an accident, or, or on my own policy, I need to have some kind of rental car coverage. Well, we can talk about both. But let's say if you're in an accident, there's there's what you can buy on your policy is that like if you're in a covered accident and your car's got to go to the shop for two weeks, you still got to get to work. You know, you, you have 30 dollars $40, $50, $60 a day to rent a car. Oh, okay. That can get expensive. I mean, if your car can take a couple weeks to get fixed, that can be expensive. So, and a lot of times people don't like what they can rent with, say, like the minimum of $25 a day, right? You're like in a little, I love driving little, a Ford Volt. What are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, you're in like this smart car and you're used to driving like a Ford F-150. Like that's not a good thing maybe. So that stuff is very inexpensive, compared to anything right so i'm always a big fan of like buy more of that because it's like two dollars three dollars here four dollars like it's not a big decision but if you have to use it you're gonna really feel that okay um but i did have a question regarding like and and i my family we rent cars sure um it's a very common question where you're going with this so when i rent a car i tend to always deny their insurance my assumption is that my policy that I got from Urban Young, by the way, um, my policy is going to cover me in case I get into an accident. Am I totally wrong there? You're not totally wrong. Um, that That is true. So typically what will happen is that as you travel or I travel, I'll tell you what I personally do, and I won't even make a recommendation, right? But I'll tell you what I personally do is I look at the cost, just like when I buy any insurance. I look at what they are going to charge me for theirs. And then I weigh the decision. Am I familiar with the roads? What are the chances to meet? Like, for example, my wife and I went to California back, I think it was 2017. Were you there with that UCF-Stanford game? I was not at UCF-Stanford, no. I was, it was that trip, Okay. whenever, you, whenever that was. And, and I had never rented a car in California, and I also rented a, like a, a Camaro, like a red Camaro. Convertible? Yes. Yeah, go and, up and down uh, the Pacific Coast Highway? Yes, okay. like the classic, like, I'm going to California, I'm going to do it, yeah. you know? And uh, anyway, the, the, the insurance that they were going to charge me was, was fairly expensive, but I purchased it because I was in unfamiliar territory, and I just said I'd rather pay than deal with it. Now, typically what will happen is that your policy, as it reads, will apply to that rental car. And typically what it is is the lowest amount of coverage like on your policy. Like So, for example, you have $500 deductibles on your comprehensive inclusion. That's what will apply to this rental car. Um, you know, that said, one of the things that's a little bit of a gap at times, and you have credit card companies that actually cover this, like Amex and stuff like that. Um, but if you're in an accident 
you wreck their vehicle and they're not able to use that vehicle for a couple months because it's in the shop, that technically that loss of income for the dealership, loss of use, whatever it may be, that your 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 coverage may not cover that. Okay. And and look, if you talk to different people, you can fight that because like really, you see how many rental cars they have on their lot. You know, they have a lot yeah, of that, rent- that one car like, being like, out is not putting them out. Exactly. Yeah. So there's ways to fight that, but that would be the only caveat. I always recommend like, hey, look, if if it's cheap probably purchase it because then you're not going to have to go through your auto insurance and file a claim. Like it's, yeah, well, it's you know, like, it's like thing. almost everything in life, everything from, do I pay someone to give, uh, to, to do an oil change in my car? Or do I do it myself? Do I pay someone to mow my grass or do I do it myself? Right. I should be factoring that in mathematically sure. to with your time. To, and yeah. Yeah. To circle back to what we were talking about. Well, do I pay for gap insurance or, or do I not? Do I, do the 2% hurricane deductible on my, on my home, or do I do the 1%? There, right. There's, there's a, a dollar assigned to that extra coverage, and then you have to weigh whether or not it makes sense to, to, to do so. But in a nutshell, to summarize auto, um, you should, as a person who owns a vehicle and, and has it insured, I should look into gap insurance. Uh, I should always make sure I have uninsured motorists. Absolutely. And I should call my insurance agent every year or two to make sure that the policy I currently have is still the best policy for me. And if there's a life event, like for me in my household, my son is 15, he'll be 16 in March. That's going to be a life event that's going to require me to reach out and talk to my insurance agent about whether or not the current insurance we have is sufficient for adding that, that third driver. Yeah. And I would say even more so call before that, right? Just in your business, it's like, Call me yeah. before you go under contract or something, yes. right? So you can maybe coach them up on a, a tidbit where you actually have time in your favor rather than now you have time against you and you're stuck with the result. That's fantastic advice. And then on the homeowner side of things, um, we talked in great detail about really looking at what your deductible is. What what does that mean in terms of dollars? I think that's a great takeaway for the audience. Um, how about this? Flood insurance. If I'm not in a flood zone, do you have flood insurance on your home? If like, like uh, irregardless if you're in a flood zone or not, let's just assume you're not. Sure. If you're buying a house today and you're not in a flood zone, does Taylor Young have flood insurance on his, uh, uh, on his homeowner's insurance policy? So to start by saying one, I don't carry flood insurance. Okay. And I'm not, I, you know, like, Oh yeah, you're an insurance agent. You should carry it. No, like I can make that decision consciously just buy your insurance consciously. Right. Yeah. But I do recommend for a lot of people to, buy flood insurance um, if it's some, because I think it's very cost effective for what you get in a lot of scenarios. Um, specifically, if you're new in an area and you don't know how it floods, you don't know how it holds water, and you can't afford if something were to happen. Um, because that, growing up, by the way, that was the one thing my dad instilled in my brother and I is like, look, you buy insurance when you can't afford it out of pocket, right? Like, okay. So that that's a good rule of thumb is like, if you're not willing or able to you know, deal with the consequences financially, then you should likely look into insuring it. So I think that's a good rule of thumb. Well, and my understanding of, of flood insurance in general is one in which, um, look, if my roof gets blown off and a whole bunch of rainwater gets Different. into my home, that's not yeah. a flood. Different. Flood's going to be rising water from the outside in, right? That's a flood event. Um, now, at the same time, one of the reasons why I do make the recommendation a lot um, specifically is, uh, you know, it can be a hurricane event, but it'd be heavy, heavy rains and rains and rains. 
and it be a flood that ends up being the cause of damage, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean, um, so, so there's a lot of different, if you really want to insulate yourself against water damage, flood is, is a great tool, specifically here in Florida, because, I mean, it's Florida. But really, but, it's not just Florida. It, it's, I mean, the Midwest. Think about Houston. And, correct. Um, and that's actually one of the, the bigger concerns in the mortgage industry, outward looking, like looking 10 years down the road, is how many homes we're going to lose in the country due to their inability to be insured because they're in a low-lying area. Sure. Like think of the Mississippi Delta, think of the Mississippi River, think about Kansas and, and Nebraska and the flood issues that they've had, let alone the issues that you have out in, in California with their natural disasters, with fires and, and mudslides and, oh, and, and everything else. So it's actually not insulated to Florida, which is kind of why I wanted to at least touch on the topic. For me, I learned about flood insurance um, with a hurricane but it had nothing to do with water coming in because a tree limb came through our window or the roof was blown off. It was a pool that um, the pool pump that was used to, to get water out quit working. And when water kept coming in and water kept coming in, eventually the pool overflowed. And then the area around the pool started building water. And we were literally like an inch and a half away from that, that pool water rising before it started coming through our sliding glass doors. Mm. And I was at the time told that would be flood. That would not be hurricane. I couldn't be like, oh, it's a hurricane caused right. it. Like, no, you had water coming up out exterior, outside of your home. Yep. Rising water. Rising yep. water. Outside and, in. Yes. Yep. Um, scared the bejesus out of us. We got the pool pump fixed. Um, we called your agent, (laughs) called our agent and it was like really cheap because I'm not in a flood zone. So it was really cheap to, to, to add it on. And at the time we had just, my my wife had just remodeled the downstairs, like new wood floors, um, new baseboards, like had it painted. Like, no, we, our decision was one in which we didn't want to pay out of pocket to have all of that redone. Because you just invested X amount of money to get that brand. It's just so funny because I was just going to fit because I feel the need to defend myself why I don't have flood insurance. Now, uh, is because, look, we, we, we haven't done that renovation. Yes. Right? So my house, my home value, most of it's in the property, right? So, or uh, in the, the land value, not the property. So for something like that, it's not worth it to me to insure it because I'm not willing, right? Like yeah. I didn't have that fresh renovation that I'm concerned about. But if and when that happens that's a great time to look at your insurance. Well, yes, I was getting ready to say, right? literally, if my downstairs looked like my upstairs, there's no way we'd have flood insurance. Right. Because the upstairs is all original, contractor grade, needs to be redone, but we're definitely afraid to do so because, well, I have a 12-year-old and 15-year-old, and they're, gonna and mess they're it up. pretty destructive. <laughs> so, yeah. hey, um, we have totally probably run through our time slot. Uh, I 100% appreciate A, our friendship, B, you coming on the show. Um, if people need to get a hold of you because they have questions as it pertains to insurance, but you and I were only scratching the surface today. What's the best way to get a hold of you to, to, to ask more detailed or more granular questions as it pertains to insurance, specifically auto and, 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 and home, but if they have a business and they need to talk to you about business insurance as well, well what's your contact info? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's Urban Young, urbanyoung.com, all the socials at Urban Young, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, LinkedIn. You can just DM us or I'll give you my personal cell phone, uh, uh, 321-297-1337. You're welcome to text me, call me or whatever it may be, and I'll get you in the right place if I don't have the answer. But man, I appreciate being on the show and, and you asking 
um, fan of yours, close in from afar, and it's been great, uh, great time spent. Perfect. And herb is E R B. It is, and then it's the uh, and sign. What do you call it's, that? It, that well, symbol. It, the amper. It's amper stamp on sunbiz.org, but it is uh, herb and young spelled out herb. as far as the brand. Oh, herb and young, um, E R B and young. Y-O-U-N-G. Taylor Young, Urban Young Insurance. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, man.